0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen eternal father you called saint philip the evangelist to open his mouth and begin with scripture tell the good news of jesus christ by virtue of our baptism we too are called to work for the salvation of souls and still in our hearts the zeal of saint philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. My name is Father Justin Braun. I'm the Director of Youth Formation for the St. Philip Institute, and with me this afternoon is Doug Berry. Doug, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little about yourself?
0: Thank you, Father. Uh, Doug Berry, yes, I just not too long ago moved down here to Tyler. Um, I've got a number of different things that I do down here, work in the high school, uh, and I also uh, will travel throughout the diocese to work in the diocese with regards to uh, especially helping encourage men to kind of raise that bar when it comes to getting involved in the spiritual fight and be prepared to take care of their families and such. Uh, Just across the board. But I also have a a ministry, and I've been traveling for about 30 years around the country. Um, I I host a TV show on EDBTN called Battle Ready. I have a ministry named Radix, uh, a non-profit Catholic ministry. I've been in churches, schools, conferences all over the country for for quite a while. So it's a real honor to be moving. I just moved my base, actually, from Lincoln, Nebraska, down here to Tyler, Texas. So... uh, it was mainly to work with you, Father. That's the main reason I came down here. Well, I've heard such great things about you. So.
1: <laughs> too kind, too kind. But it has, we have actually had the chance to work together some already, yeah. and it's been fun. It has been. Um and it's uh, yeah. I, we were just talking before we uh, came on air here about the distinctions of Midwest life living in the South, right. and even Texas has its own culture and its own character, but uh, one of the great joys is that we have a Catholic faith that unites us, and sure. so we can kind of cross oceans, cross borders, all those things to bring our Lord to the people of God. And so, you know, today we're going to try to kind of dive into some, I think, big issues that we face mm. um, as Catholics today, especially looking at the questions of uh, the Eucharist. And uh, today, so today we're going to try to spend some time talking about the Most Holy Eucharist, what it is, and maybe dispelling some of the ignorance that that exists uh, out there, the holy sacrifice, the Mass, the way in which the Eucharist, our Lord, comes to us, and then talking a little bit about reverence, uh, especially how this applies to youth. As I said, I'm the Director of Youth Formation, and seven and a half years of priesthood, literally I can't think of a day that's gone by that I haven't worked with a high school or a college or a grade school kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know you've largely spent most of your adult life in ministry working with that same age group so we want to talk about how it works with our youth and our young adults and also families who are um, under that constant attack as as we know uh, to to separate themselves from god so we want to kind of lead back to what it is that uh, the lord wants to give us in the eucharist to understand how we as faithful catholics as a priest and uh, as family men as husbands as wives as uh, children we can come to our lord so A few months ago, you saw this, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. Um, Pew uh, published uh, a research survey, and less than a third of Catholics believe in the real presence, and maybe more startlingly, less than half even knew what the Church teaches, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're at the Kind of tail end of a couple of cycles of formation and the wider church that uh, I think St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict really emphasized a lot of the what and the why and and what it is we believe, why it is what we believe, why it is we believe that, and, and Pope Francis to a degree has really been trying to help us take that what and why and put it into our lives, um, but. You know, we experience—I know you're ministering at a high school, me ministering broadly with youth, and in my local parish as the youth minister for uh, our wonderful teens, um, we experience a a basic ignorance of of what it is. So uh, just kind of start off with, uh, for you, what captivated you about— the Eucharist, and, and then you know maybe a little bit more about what it is you've been you've been able to learn uh, as a layman. Mm. As you obviously you describe yourself very often as a man who can read books, but not a man who is of the books. You know that mm. you don't have a degree yet. Right. You've really endeavored throughout your life to to know what it is the church teaches and, and how it impacted your life.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I was raised uh, cradle Catholic, like like many. Um, I would say you know when I give talks in churches and conferences, I like to tell people, look, I'm, I'm like most of you. Uh, I don't have a great conversion story. Uh, you know, I didn't go through, a, you know, a, a moment like a, a Scott Hahn, for example. A lot of mm-hmm. people here might have been familiar with Scott Hahn. You know, he thought it was his mission to save Catholics from the Catholic faith, you know, the whore of Babylon, the, the Antichrist, and so mm-hmm. forth, and said— then he starts uh, slipping into the back of a church during the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, and he starts seeing all this Scripture, and since he's a Scripture scholar, he's hearing the Scripture, and it's really penetrating his heart, and he's realizing in the long run, whoa, they've got it. They've got the fullness of the faith right here, the fullness of truth right here in the Catholic faith. So he converts. So when he gives a talk, he can pack a church because he's got a great conversion story. I don't have that. Right. I'm like most people out there. I grew up, I like to call myself the clock-in, clock-out Catholic. You, know, you walk in, you put your hand in the holy water font, and you clock in. You walk out after Mass, and you clock out. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of my faith. And it was really around uh, 19, 20, 21 years old, right in that ballpark. And, and a lot of it had to do with hearing about the Blessed Mother and her apparitions in Fatima, Portugal, and uh, you know this beautiful church-approved apparition of Our Lady. That was a major part of causing me to really dig deeper in my faith. And in looking into Our Lady's apparitions, taking my faith more seriously— It just started moving me more towards a deeper appreciation for Mass, and especially Mm -hmm. receiving Jesus in Holy Communion, which then encompasses, of course, the reception of of our Lord's mercy through the sacrament of confession, praying the rosary, fasting, I mean, all these different things that all revolve around this, as we're told by the saints, especially St. Padre Peel, that the Eucharist is the source and summit Mm -hmm. of everything, and so... It all kind of directed, there. but for me, father, it was largely, you know, hearing about the Blessed Mother and Fatima. It was right before I got married. My wife and I have been married thirty years now, almost. And uh, I tell you, really, really stunned me when I started looking deeper into um, what the saints have written, what the Church teaches, the miracles, Lancian, Italy, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, an incredible, incredible depth, a treasure chest that is just just beyond comprehension of what the Eucharist means to the world to the universe
1: yeah i mean the the sun could not rise tomorrow and if it weren't for our lord right so we need him in the world right. we 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 obviously have a desire to be with god um god has a desire to be with us and the 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 ideas that the Catechism, especially presents, you know, Bishop Joseph Strickland, our our, our boss, yeah. for, for lack of a better word, right. he he really talks often about uh, you know taking the books off the shelves and especially the Catechism as a a teaching document that looks at the content of faith from many perspectives. Uh, it's it's a church docu document written for people of the church, mm-hmm. but really you can see the the content is is in a sense presented for the wider world to kind of get an insider's look at what we believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been a great tool of evangelization in places that have really truly looked at it and activated, okay, what is there, what can we present, um, and how is it that that we can use the content of the catechism to kind of shape the way we're teaching the faith. But uh, as, again, we were talking a little bit before uh, we got on air, is just one of the challenges is, is even getting people to open the catechism, and and seeing it as part of the lifeblood of their Christian walk. Uh, And for me as a kid, uh, you know, I grew up in northeast Texas here in Longview, and kind of like you, clock in, clock out, and uh, about the age of 14— I was not the best of kids. Mm. Uh, I didn't always make the most prudent decisions or virtuous decisions. And we'll save uh, that
0: that description for another show. Absolutely, right. <laughs> the, the, the one on the need for confession
1: frequently. <laughs> um, but my mom, uh, who herself was a cradle Catholic and attended uh, Catholic schools through 12th grade, uh, my mom said, "You're going to start going to adoration with me." And you know, truthfully, Doug, I. It's like I don't even really know what that is. Like I'd heard of it, and yeah. there was a little chapel at our parish. There, were, I know people went in there and prayed, but the concept of of going to adore our Lord in the Eucharist was, was kind of foreign to me. And she, uh, she just said, "Well, this is what you're doing, because I'm kind of tired of your behavior." <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so we would go on Tuesday nights at ten o'clock, and uh, during the school year, it was like, "Okay, I got to stay up really late." and um, so I'd go the first couple times. I very clearly remember I, I literally took a Discman in. Uh, you know, Discman is not something maybe the 21st century audience knows, but <laughs> you put CDs in there and you listen What's to What's a them. CD right, for? Right, <laughs> right. And uh, I'd listened to Metallica, the Black Album. And uh, this was I mean, probably the first time I went, I listened probably 57 minutes. And the last three minutes, maybe, I took my headphones off and so you're in adoration i'm literally listening
0: tw- to the black
1: album of yeah day. like inner sandman 27 feet from the blessed sacrament not knowing why or what uh why i'm there and what's going on my mom's in the front pew banging out rosaries because she's a good holy woman and i'm in the back pew uh being a good you know faithful catholic and um but you
0: know i gotta say real quick I am interrupting is you know
1: anybody listening or watching right now might think,
0: "Whoa, how could he do that?" I mean, it's just so offensive to our Lord, and our Lord's there in the monster and thinking, I-, "I got this. I mean th- you're nothing right. You're not a challenge to me, kid. you know right. I mean He says it to all of us. We, I've been through this with with people. Absolutely. All the way back to the, the Moses and the Noahs and the, and the Elijah. Peter. Peter himself, yes. I mean, he understands. And we have to just relax and realize that God's got these moments. He does. The fact that you were before him was an enormous step in the right direction.
1: Right, right. yeah And, and thanks for pour- pulling that out because that's so true. That's, it, it, I, would, I would be terrified if I walked in today and saw a kid in headphones. Um, <laughs> but I was ignorant. And yeah. my mom... Really was patient, and she said, "Okay, you're coming back next time. You're not listening to whatever that garbage was because mm-hmm. she could hear through my headphones." <laughs> and so, I, you know, the next time I went back, uh, I've been I listening to something a little softer. Um, but you know, going a number of times in a row, uh, slowly it was okay. I'm not taking the headphones. I'm not taking the disc minutes. Okay, what, there's books in the back, bookshelf back there, so I'm going to go look at those. So there's Bible and catechism, and so I just started to read a little bit in the catechism about the Eucharist, and it blew me away. You know, I'd mm-hmm. born and raised, received First Communion, the whole nine yards, and was at 14, 15 years old for the first time in my life, like, fully convicted. Well, that's really Him. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just that I come in and show reverence through my external actions, that, like, in my heart of hearts and in my head, I know, yeah, that's God. Like, there's no denying it. And so from that point forward, it, it, was, it was a beautiful uh, moment of my week that mm-hmm. I looked forward to, even in the midst of still struggling with sin and, and fighting, you know, temptation, like, to just be able to know that I can come back to our Lord every week to spend an hour with Him. Um, but
0: how long did it take to get to that point where oh. you were starting to really appreciate that time you were going to
1: have? Probably not more than about, I would say, three or four months. Like, And again, that's going every week, mm-hmm. so 12, 15 times of really just sitting there, praying, and picking up some devotional literature. Um, St. Peter Julian Amar, the great apostle of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. uh, we had a blessed sacrament priest in our parish uh, who helped me kind of open my eyes a little bit more to that. But uh, where it comes in with Our Lady kind of connecting uh, with you, and I, and I love Our Lady. I went to St. Mary's Parish as a kid. That's where I grew up was... Um, that's when I started to pray the rosary, mm. uh, you know, and not all the time, but pretty much every time I went to adoration, I like, that's
0: all she needs.
1: That's, and that's it. <laughs> like, I mean, she gets your hooks in you and you're done. Yeah. Um, so when people ask me why I'm a priest, I'm like, I have no great, great conversion story. There's no like miracle of the sun or anything, but, um, the Eucharist and our lady, mm. that's it. Um, so l- kind of pulling away from these personal stories, that gives you maybe some context to our listeners like where we encountered at the Eucharist and, mm-hmm. and what that knowledge yeah. is. Just talking about what is the Church's teaching about the Most Holy Eucharist, uh, you know, maybe there's one point that sticks out to you more than another, but uh, just wanted to ask you kind of what's something about the Church's teaching that kind of says to you, Doug, this is the thing that you need to, to, to focus on the most? Um, maybe a phrase or maybe some part of the theology or even the devotional uh, literature of the saints that, that's drawn you in over the years?
0: Well, the number one thing for me, I mean, it, it, bar none, anything that I've ever read or heard about regarding uh, the Eucharist is is John 6, is when our Lord says. Because to me, it's it's the whole dynamic of, you know, the day before he works this great miracle with, with bread feeding the thousands and then and then that next day they want to make him this this star this rock star so to speak if you use that term and and his his entourage if you will his men <laughs> his buddies are hanging out and they, they've got to be loving the moment and this right. this picture painted in my mind is is what that must have been like thousands of people looking at him thinking this man is different somehow and then he flips it on him mm. and he flips it on him so dramatically saying if you want if you want eternal life, I mean, not just food for your belly, it's me. And he goes to that point of saying, and it's around verse 52, 53, right in there, amen, amen, I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. My food is true, food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks, my blood abides in me, and I abide in him. That passage right there. And then at verse 66 of John 6, which I don't know if that's God's sense of humor or not, right. but it's the 666 moment, they will no longer remain with them and they walk away. And the fact, this is what always got me, and still to this day, is we're being challenged with things in the world today. Challenged for standing up for, to stand up for our faith today, and and you feel the pressure, whether it's family or work or wherever you are out there. We feel pressure. I feel it. You feel it. Even you probably feel it from parishioners. I I feel it from from family members, from parents who don't like what I say mm. to their kids in a Catholic school or in at 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 an event somewhere, in a conference somewhere. In those moments, to remember our Lord turning to his entourage, those twelve guys, and saying, "Are you going to leave me as well?" That, for me, is just that one moment that just says there's something about this truth that is off the rails, off the charts, absolutely, 100% real. Because that picture is so massive, the thousands, the excitement, the energy, and then he flips it and says, "Now I'm really going to test you on this, and they walk Mm -hmm. away. And that Peter comes out at the end and says, well, where else are we going to go? And it's not as if Peter got it, you know. In fact, Peter right. isn't portrayed as being the brightest, you know, light in, in the room. And that's not a put down to St. Peter. <laughs> he's in a much better place than I am right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he comes that's off looking. He's a little edgy, a little rough on, right. on the edges. And he comes out and says, you know, Lord, you know, where else are we going to go? I can't imagine he's back there going, no, 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 I get this, Jesus. I know what you're saying. What it means is that when it comes to, no, he doesn't fully get this. So he just knows, though. Right. He knows there is no other place to go, no other person to be with. There's something about you. And so that, that simplicity of someone like St. Peter, the crowd leaving, his 12 men there, he asks that question. He doesn't say, guys, I'm feeling vulnerable. Let's, let's have a pizza party and mm-hmm. play some volleyball, and let's try, to, let's try to encourage him. Let's tell him it was a symbol so for me, Father, that's the number one thing that has always gotten me and still gets me to this day. Our Lord says, are you going to leave me as well? I feel like he's asking me that, mm-hmm. you know, just regularly in my own day-to-day life. So that's the number one thing. And from there, the miracles get me. Yeah. The miracles. I mentioned Lanciano earlier, you know, that this, these these constant moments in in the history of our, of our 2,000 years of beautiful Catholic faith— Amidst even scoundrels in the church, and even in today's world, we know they're still there, the higher level ones even, and I'm not naming names, but we know they're out there, mm-hmm. struggling, or, or even trying to tear down the church at times in some ways that appears, or at least alter different things, and yet in the midst of all that, God still drops a miracle yeah. of a host that's bleeding, and they test the blood, and it's human blood, or the Lanciano miracle is, uh, we won't maybe get the details now, but just, my my goodness, the incredible depth of that miracle alone, mm-hmm. and so many others. So to me, that scripture verse and the, and the accounts of God bringing this truth, these miracles to us that are that are just not explainable by, by, by a rational mind are constant reminders to me. And I would say the last thing is just, you know, the more I pray the rosary, and when I pray the rosary, I'm like like many people, probably like you. I don't always feel like it. It's not as exciting. It's not an emotional high. It's a peaceful moment many mm-hmm. times. But it's not one of those things. It doesn't compare to watching a football game. You know, when, sure. when your team, when, when the Dallas Cowboys are losing to the Green Bay Packers, which maybe I shouldn't mention that in here, but I, I'm a Packer fan. But anyway, <laughs> should we edit that out? No, let's leave it in there. Leave it in there. But I got to tell you that praying the rosary doesn't compare to something like that. It's far more peaceful, more profound. Mm-hmm. And in praying the rosary, that even has deepened my appreciation and love for the Eucharist. So those are the key things right there yeah. for me.
1: Well, I, you, you touched on a couple of things that I, I think are very important. When I <clears throat> talk with my friends, uh, you know, I'm 36. I, I've got a lot of friends who are who are not Catholic. A lot of friends that are um, even professed agnostics. And and uh, one of the struggles in our our modern age is uh, is is that faith is something that takes us beyond mm. reason. Mm-hmm. You said it's almost irrational. It takes us beyond reason but it's not unreasonable in the sense that it doesn't work according to the world's standards and and faith itself is an act of, of love for God and trust in him. And the the quote from John uh, six that, that stands out to me and and incidentally is what I wrote, you know, our youth curriculum on this past year was just Lord, to whom shall we go? You know, the, the benefits of studying in seminary for, for many men, uh, I don't want to speak on it because I don't I don't know their story, but for me, one of the best things about it was, was it it challenged me at my deepest, you know, kind of intellectual heart, where do I go for answers? And the absurdity of going to the world uh, that offers you just pure illusions that come and go, um, and then looking to the surety of, well, yeah, God's presence it's real it's substantial it's not something that he actually people say he hides from us no he's more obvious to us than we could ever imagine we just have to open our eyes and the eyes of faith are what help us to do that Mm -hmm. um and it fulfills even the truths that are completely philosophical or completely rational like two plus two equals four why does it equal four because it's true and understanding that in the light of faith means i understand that it's true because god would not do anything contrary to the truth himself right, right. and f- so that intellectual uh rigor that was presented to us we had to kind of study other world religions we had to study philosophy you know through the history uh, of the western world but even uh, the, the ancient near east understanding that the one to whom we go to our lord is the only one who can actually give a reasonable response that accords with who we are as human beings. And the way in which he does that, because he became incarnate himself, Mm -hmm. divine love made flesh, as Cardinal Burke's book uh, is titled, it takes on flesh, that love itself takes on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And Christ himself said, I will be with you, I will remain with you, and he does that, of course, through the gift of the Holy Spirit remaining in the Church. But he does that in a unique and particular way through the gift of the holy eucharist so at that moment in john chapter 6 you see the eyes of faith are open that Mm -hmm. peter himself as you mentioned not fully conscientiously intellectually understanding exactly what our lord meant by these things that he's saying but knowing that only a few short chapters later when our lord is at the last supper peter remembers that conversation. Mm-hmm. Peter remembers that moment, right. and he's like, "Oh my gosh, this is it." Yeah. So John six drives us uh, as Catholics especially, but it, but it, for all, of, I would encourage them to read that again in the light and with the eyes of faith. What is our Lord insisting on? He makes a few really solitary statements that help to be points to draw us into the fullness of the truth. And this is one of them. Another one, certainly, that I that I come back to even in the context of the Eucharist is is that he who wants to follow me must deny himself, take up his cross. And to go to the Eucharist to be nourished, uh, because it's hard to deny ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to take up the cross. It's hard to want to, you know, help... Uh, for you as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather to to want to get up every day and continue to fight the good fight for the Church and for your family, for me to, to get up and, and deal with the world that hates me, uh, deal with the world that hates not, hates not me but hates Christ and therefore uh, doesn't like those who minister in right. Christ's name. To be strengthened and nourished by the Lord in the Eucharist gives us um, that 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 stamina that we need, that right. fortitude really, in terms of the virtues that we need to continue with our Lord. But getting back to just a, one one last kind of question about the Eucharist, and we're going to talk then more in the context of the Mass. Do you remember um, a specific time that you ever received Holy Communion? Oh, that stands out, yeah. Yeah, it stands out. Yeah.
0: A- um, you know what? In all honesty, not specifically, but I do remember several moments where there would be I don't want to say an emotional reaction, Mm -hmm. but something more, I guess, on a deeper, more profound reaction that I would have um, where I was going back to the pew after receiving our Lord and was just getting tears in my eyes Mm. and tears in my heart. And it wasn't over anything specific. It wasn't over sadness or anything. It was just overwhelmed with something. Mm. that was not emotional in and of itself. And that's happened several times. So I, I would say that, that, you know, and it's almost as if I remember the words of St. Teresa of Adla talking about when she would go through these deep, spiritual, dry moments, mm-hmm. and um, the book Fire Within by Father Thomas de Bay. And, and when book. she writes that she was like a boat sitting on the water, and the water was calm for years, it felt like at times, and then a wave would come and pick it up and carry it a short distance and set it down again and leave it that way again. And that moment of being carried was enough for her. That 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 encounter was enough for her to keep going in the dry moments, mm-hmm. and the very still moments. And so for me, those those just a few times over my over my life where I felt this overwhelming sort of some something beyond emotion that just the presence, the 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 union, the something, and just tears in my eyes and in my heart of wow, I, I, unspeakable words. Yeah. And Therese even says that there are some things. When it comes to talking about our Lord and experiencing our Lord, that you shouldn't even try to talk about it right now because words don't do justice right. to the encounter. So I would—that'd be my best way to describe that, Father—is inexplicable. Just some of those moments, just overwhelmed with something just beyond what I could explain.
1: It's divine love. That's uh, wow. and not to, to really—I can't qualify or quantify that, but it's grace. It's that's that's what the church teaches, and that's yeah. the beauty of it. Is that yeah? Not every moment will have a. A, um, a subjective experience mm-hmm. of of the objective good that we're receiving. But at, at times, our Lord really awakens and inflames our hearts to, to better receive Him and to better think about Him. And you brought up a point that I think is very important for us as Catholics to understand. It's like, when we receive our Lord and we go back to our pew, that's a moment of thanksgiving. Mm. Like, th- that you were spiritually aware enough to know that I need you know, my attention should be turned toward that which I have consumed because I am a living tabernacle. Um, And that even when you have small kids, uh, I know the temptation when you get back to the pews, like you're smacking hands, you're pushing Cheerios down (laughs) the throat, you're trying to get them to be quiet. Like, pray even in those moments, Lord, help me to be aware of your holy presence. Uh, There's a great story I, I saw at just reading a couple weeks ago about a, a new priest who had come uh, from, from Africa to the United States and was serving as a parochial vicar. And first couple weeks he was at the parish, um, he would go and help distribute communion during all the Sunday Masses, and uh, which is a great practice uh, at parishes where that's available. That's such a beautiful thing to see the priests ministering to the people of God in the way they're ordained. But this new priest noticed that a lot of people were leaving after Mass are yeah. um, leaving after communion, the old Judas shuffle, uh, people walking <laughs> right. out and receive <laughs> communion, and they'll go back to their pew, just go start to the car. Yeah. And this priest, it was beautiful, got a candle, and he started following those people and ringing a bell. <laughs> and people asked him, Father, why are you following me? He said, because you're a living tabernacle. The Lord is in you. He's on fire in your heart right now. He is literally going through your blood. I thought, what faith? Wow. What faith? And this is twentieth, 21st century 19, 2019, you know? So this great gift that we have in the Eucharist comes to us through the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Right. And this is, you know, m- one of my favorite subjects. I'm currently teaching a, an 11-part series on the Mass at my parish, and uh, it's great, you know, working with the, the people of God to help really look at the details of what the Church says about the Mass itself, but... Um, this is the way most people encounter the church, whether it's at a wedding, a funeral, um, you know, a holiday where they're with their Catholic relatives or whatever, know, they get drug into the church, and they're like, oh, what's going on? And there's <laughs> incense, and there's this, you know, maybe a statue here or there, but uh, this, is, this is where we come to worship God. And, right. and as the church says itself uh, about the worship of God, this is the source and summit of our life as Christians. Uh, but the, the sacrifice of the Masses. It's so many things. So just, uh, you know, first of all, what has the the Mass itself been like for you as a Catholic, a lifelong Catholic, and how's that experience uh, colored the way you've lived your life and and raised your family especially?
0: Well, you know, when I was younger, you know, the Mass to me was um, very much just the check the box, get it done sort of thing. Um, You know, my parents went faithfully. My dad was not, you know, God rest his soul. He passed away 27 years ago, roughly now, due to a massive heart attack, so... Um, he, but he was not a strong Catholic in the sense of really teaching me anything. In fact, I learned next to nothing from him about the Mass. And I don't mean it in a disrespectful nah, way. Just. But he just he was not taught it. I mm-hmm. don't think he knew how to teach it. A lot of men don't, which is why a lot of my work is in men's ministry, mm-hmm. uh, to try to help men wake up to this. Because I'm somebody who came from not being taught by my father and saying, uh, essentially, I'm not going to let this happen to me. I'm not going to let it happen to my family. And so I start picking up books and learning on my own. You know, no college degree, no anything. I just started reading the Catechism, the Scriptures, Lives of the Saints. Those were my main go-tos right there. And, you know, and really, if that's all you did in your whole life, you you would really do really well, I think, It's yeah. just the Scriptures, the teachings of the faith of the Catechism, and the Lives of the Saints, those who've gone before us, the right. champions, the heroes. So growing up, I was the, again, as I mentioned, clock-in, clock-out Catholic. I've missed Mass on Sunday probably in my life seven, eight times, nine times total, and that's only because I was sick. So I was not one of those rebellious people who just walked away, but I will say I sat in the pews many times, and I was the type of Catholic that would look out the window and say, I see God more in the trees than I do Mm -hmm. here on the altar. And then certain things come into your life along the way, and for me, hearing things such as St. Bridget of Sweden saying that at the consecration, she would see, she was given the gift to see. Just, just thousands of angels descend around the altar and lie mm-hmm. prostrate on the ground all around the altar at the moment of consecration. That that kind of word image word picture whatever yeah. stood in my head. Whoa, that's incredible. And so those are the types of things that kind of pricked my conscience to look at what's happening at the mass <laughs> differently. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and and you know got married, thanks be to God, to just a wonderful woman, and very much equally yoked um, as we're supposed to be in marriage anyway, but especially in matters of faith. She and I were very much in union with trying to get to daily mass and get our kids to daily mass. I've been blessed to raise five children. I have seven children, two miscarriages, but five children, and I'm, we tried to take them to daily mass when we could, and we we didn't let them get away with certain things. Yeah, you know, we wanted to keep teaching them and training them. And, and I'll be I mean, the first one to admit, you walk out of mass as a parent sometimes, and you look at your spouse and say, "Was Father even there? You know, was, <laughs> was, was did we have a gospel today? I mean, because you were so." distracted by taking right. care of your kids yeah. but again it's part of our vocation as parents and god understands this right and it's not beyond god to be able to say look i get this i know what you're going through i've i've ordained the situation i know there are struggles here this is all part of the process and and i can look back now that my wife and i um we don't you know we don't have many children living with us anymore and they've all moved on they've all moved on and thanks be to god they're also practicing the faith and and i can pray and hope that that had everything to do with the grace of God working through those moments of just the Mm -hmm. day-to-day, week-to-week, sticking to what we knew was right, making mistakes along the way, no question about it. I mean, I'm a sinner like everybody else. I go to confession every few weeks at least, and I can tell you, yes, I know the mistakes, the frustrations that come with this, but I'm a big believer in this, Father. I like military terminology. Mm -hmm. Thus, I have my—part of my ministry is battle-ready, be ready for the fight, body, mind, and soul— and when you're in a foxhole in the thick of a battle, emotion and inspiration is important. As this podcast, hopefully, by the grace of God, will be inspiration, motivation for a lot of people. That's the goal. Um, but inspiration and motivation is kind of like emotion. It comes and goes. Mm-hmm. But discipline, day-to-day stick the I'm not relenting in this, that's what you need in that foxhole when you're in a fight. So when it comes to me growing up and, and going through my life and raising my kids and, and my marriage and such, um, and how, you know, the holy sacrifice of the Mass played a part in that. To me, it was the stick-to-itiveness of, obviously, you're not going to miss the faith, being faithful to the Holy Days of Obligation and Sunday Obligation, but even trying to get to daily Mass and so forth was absolutely something I thought that was so necessary because it's the discipline that will give me the grace, the strength to be able to continue in the fight. Mm. So to me, it was much, it, 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 I, I try to get rid of the emotional side of these things. I know we're part emotion. God made sure. us that way. They have, it has its place in our life. But boy, if we look at going to Mass as an emotional thing, and I just don't get much out of it because I'm not feeling a certain I'm not. Fe- mm. Who cares about your feelings when it comes to some of these moments, especially this? I go because the truth is there. And I would say for you as a priest, when I watch priests like you, Father, um, when I watch a priest celebrate Mass with reverence, that blows me away. I mean, that knocks me over. Mm. So this is an encouragement to to all priests out there is when you celebrate Mass with with a certain reverence that has, I, I say, a certain cadence or speed that is... Slow enough for us to really process those moments at the consecration, and you know I'm not trying to put anybody down, but there's some priests who buzz right through it, like they got to get to a, a meeting afterwards. Right. And I'm not judging the hearts or souls here. Right. But the actions I'm simply observing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. And sometimes it's less than inspirational, mm-hmm. and or or even teaching a discipline, as I mentioned inspiration earlier. Right. right. So I just encourage priests out there. You know the speed with which, the cadence with which you celebrate, especially at the moment of consecration, to give us in the pews the time to just ponder and have that silence in those moments is so critical. And over the years, has been so helpful to me and my wife and kids as I took them to mass.
1: Yeah, well, it's a, You mentioned so many things that I, I find. You know, we're we're separated by a few years in terms of our our life experiences, but just, just a couple. Uh, <laughs> but really, you know, Doug, there was nothing. Phenomenal about uh, about most of the masses I went to as mm-hmm. a kid, in the sense that I didn't have I did not have a, a strong emotional experience. Um, even in high school, I had great youth ministry, really fantastic lay volunteers, a permanent deacon who was amazing, a, a parochial vicar who was just great, and a pastor who gave good homilies. But there was never a draw for me to to go because I wanted to get something, but rather. Truly, I, I attribute this to Father Denzel Fitanagi. He's a priest of our diocese, but but rather to give something. Like the point of Mass, as you said, and I, I've said this many times in, in uh, homilies, is I'm not here for your emotional right. desires to be fulfilled right. as your priest. I'm here as a father and to be present to you as priest and mediator of the sacrifice. I'm here to praise God and to, in turn, sanctify you, because that's the role of the priest, is to be an intermediary between God and man. And the purpose of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is, first and foremost, to give praise to God.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and again, that's not a, a terribly emotional reality for me. At times, I've it, 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 can be. i been filled with tears. I've said a couple thousand Masses I at this point. Yeah, I've been a priest seven and a half years, probably say just about an average of two Masses every day. Um but there's still times when I'm moved with tears because I just can't fathom how good God is, hmm. and and there He is, and, and as it's a great quote from uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen, the greatest love story in the world is contained in a tiny white host, and and sometimes, you know, as a priest, you're sitting there, you're literally holding him, and your fi- you're holding him in your fingers, and it's true, the the love of God made flesh who died for us on the cross and rose and ascended into heaven is right there in my hands and so even the prayers of the priest prior to mass when he's preparing and putting his vestments on when he praises and washes his hands and asks for purity and asks to be protected from from the devil to when he puts the cincture on in all these ways that he prepares his heart and his mind to enter into the great sacrifice of christ like that comes alive more and more uh, as I as I grow into my priesthood. But but also, it was something that came alive for me when I was a teenager because it was lived through the daily mass experience. You were mentioning that with your your kids, and again, give all the props to my mom. My dad's a good dude. He converted a couple years ago. Finally, thanks be to God, he's married to mom for forty eight years. Finally, came into the church. Amen. 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 Way to go. Second, Welcome home. Yeah, second best day of my life. I brought my dad <laughs> into the church on Christmas Day of twenty seventeen. Nice. Um, and talking to him, like when you know he did an interview for the Catholic East Texas a couple of years ago, what was it that, that brought him in? He said, "Reverence for the Eucharist." Mm. Like he he never presented himself for communion, and it's not something I was even really conscious of. A lot as a kid, as I grew in my faith and knowledge, I was like, "Oh yeah, Dad never presents himself for communion," and he's not. I know he's not Catholic, but um, but he still he knelt. When he came into the church, he'd cross himself with holy water, not superstitiously. Like he believed God's real, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would kneel. He would pray the prayers of the mass with us. Uh, jokes, always just like your dad's the best non-practicing Catholic or non-Catholic I know, <laughs> and, and it was true. That witness of of his fidelity and you know, love for my mom was beautiful. But what drew drew me in more deeply into the mass itself was was going to daily mass and, and being surrounded with silence. Mm-hmm. That point you made about science is so important for us, and it's something that, as we look around at the world, as Cardinal S- Sarah said, there's a, a dictatorship of noise. You know that the, the trap, a good way of putting it. It really is the yeah. power of silence versus the dictatorship of noise. Like this computer, which you know conveniently does have quotes about the Eucharist. That's why it's here. But we have computers, we have phones, we have headphones, we have you know billboards, we have distractions that abound, mm-hmm. and daily mass usually speaking in a parish is relatively quiet you know there might be a little singing at the hallelujah but the discipline of going and then falling more deeply in love with our lord because you see him more and more present as you hear about him in scripture as you pray to him um it's just a beautiful experience so part of what you and i both work with in the the youth ministry world is this tension uh, and I'll call a spade a spade between entertainment and worship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, you and I have worked together. We did we did a our Diocesan Catholic youth conference this past summer together, just to, to kick off kind of the, you know the year. And um, and it was palpable. Um, you know, our our kids in Northeast Texas. This is very geographically real. Like our our kids don't know a ton of praise and worship music. It hasn't been part of their cultural experience as Catholics, but. Um, even in the midst of a a heavily and predominant Protestant area, praise and worship music um, for them, for our kids as Catholics, is something largely associated with other Christian denominations. So um, I grew up in the 90s, 80s, 90s, uh, where there was an influential, you know, aspect of entertainment being kind of superimposed on the Mass, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to have the, the... the best and catchiest tunes, uh, was a a real big emphasis. But, um, but recently we've seen research indicates this is true. Like more and more kids are going to traditional Latin masses, Mm -hmm. or they're going to parishes where, you know, sacred music tends to be more chant or, um, polyphony kind of more in the depths of our, um, historical patrimony. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do you have to say about that? Well, I I, you know,
0: your explanation on the, this dictatorship of, of noise uh, the, the Cardinal mentions, or just the fact that this entertainment, this attitude of entertainment has to be an integral part of the Mass. And I remember in the early years of my ministry work, I would travel around to a lot of youth Masses around the country. And I remember one particular debate I got into with a youth minister, he was a musician, and he was a young guy at the time, but compared to me, you know, I mean, I'm 78 right now. So I grew up in the roaring 20s or 30s or somewhere Great back Great years. Something like that, yeah. A lot of disco was not around yet. So. People are going to think I'm that old, actually. Anyway, let him. wear it. You water. wear it well. Let him wear it. Thank you. It's, it's a, I take a lot of collagen in my protein. Mm-hmm. In days. But anyway, <laughs> getting ridiculous here. So um, I remember a debate I had with the youth minister, and I said to him, you know what? We've crossed some lines here. Mm. When you've got—you're you're sitting in the pews, and you're looking at the sanctuary, and there's the altar, and to the right of the altar is a drum set. Mm. I mean, we, we're, we're kind of getting into—we have gotten into an area that's very, very seriously distracting of what's really taking— No, Doug, no, he said, it's important. we got to get those kids in there. I said, look, I understand the effort. We want to get them into the church, but getting them in the building isn't necessarily the end-all and be-all. There has to be something about— why they're coming? The why behind this, and mm-hmm. we're we're distorting that why. If the why has to do with the drum set and electric guitar, or the basketball being dribbled down the aisle, which I've seen this in masses too, mm. or a mass in Canada, youth mass where at the sign of peace, I saw two or three uh, teenagers actually climbing over the pews, two or three pews to get back to shake the hand of a friend or some cute girl. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it became a social moment. You know, it was just off the rails social. You know club type situation and i couldn't believe that people just buzzing all over is that there was no difference between this in a in high school gym and a basketball game and this is this has happened we we know of this, and there have been priests who've fallen into, unfortunately, giving into some of those types of celebrations of the Mass. So when when that happens, I get into debate with this guy, and he says, no, Doug, we just got to get him in there. And I said, but there has to be formation and teaching. They have to understand the why. He says, no, Doug, this is guerrilla warfare. We just got to get him in the pews. Doesn't matter what we do, the music. I said, but we need to talk about even modesty of the way they dress, present themselves, disposition, everything, the the character of what's going on here. No, man, it's not. We just got to Get him in the pews. And this attitude of, I mean, God bless the guy. I think he was, to his mind, he was maybe doing the best he thought he could. Absolutely. You know, but observing the scenario and the situation circumstances, it wasn't working very well. And then I would talk to people years after some of these really flamboyant, entertaining youth masses. And they would say, oh, yeah, I was going to this particular youth mass, (coughs) this particular style of youth mass with all the drums and the guitars and the upbeat and the just constant praise and worship style Mm -hmm. with no silence, no true reverence. And they would say to me, and then my parents moved. I've heard this from probably half a dozen people over the years. And then my parents moved. We went to another place where they didn't have that, and I stopped going to mass. Mm-hmm. I just stopped going. And then a few might say, and then years later, I found something more beautiful about the Mass. And in a couple of cases, was actually, as you mentioned, the Latin Mass. And to them, it was because of this elevated sort of, in their eyes, this was an elevated type of reverence that their heart was longing for. Mm-hmm. But I've seen Novus Ordo Mass celebrated beautifully as Absolutely. well. It, it, it can be done. Mm-hmm. It's so much, obviously, what you as the priest decides to, to make of that moment so that the people around you know, look, this is how we're doing it. Mm-hmm. I always say to priests, you're like spiritual officers on the battlefield. We need you to kind of tell us, us lowly le, le people down here in the pews and <laughs> the well, grunt soldiers how it's going to be done. You know, I'm right. a bit facetious there a little bit, but in, in all honesty, you, you priests, you you set that tone, and and I know so many great priests mm. who have done just a phenomenal job celebrating beautiful, reverent masses um, where they don't let the shenanigans and the craziness get going, and yeah. it's so so different. Well, so
1: I, I like that analogy you're using because it, it, to a degree, yeah, we, we're the field officers, and, yeah. and you know, our bishops are kind of the generals. And, right. Um, the reality is. I went to school for eight years for this like that was my life mm-hmm. at least intellectually for eight solid years and now you know seven years beyond that 15 years of essentially just this has been my life like i spend a lot of time reading about the liturgy um and i like to use this analogy and i, I talk about this with, with parishioners a lot is you know the church is my wife and we talk about the the relationship of the priest and the church in a spousal way um and the thing I should be most interested in mm-hmm. is my wife. Right. <laughs> not not my bad golf mm-hmm. game, which was terrible recently, um, very embarrassing, <laughs> but not, you know, the Cowboys, not whatever other distractions exist out there. The most important relationship in my life is with Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Mm-hmm. So it behooves me as a good spouse to spend a lot of time getting to know my wife mm-hmm. and getting to know all the things that she has to share with me. And so the liturgy becomes obviously the most external expression of, of our love as priests for our Lord and the way we reverently celebrate it. And you're mentioning just some of the abuses that exist, uh, have existed and, and continue sadly to exist in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. Um, in 2005, uh, Redemptionis Sacramentum came out. It was a document from the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of Sacraments, in response to St. John Paul II's Ecclesia Dei Eucharistia, an encyclical that I would strongly encourage any Catholic can read. It's JP two, so it's it's bulky. It's got some <laughs> it's, it's got at it times some uh, some strange words, but overall it's a biblical unfolding of uh, Eucharistic theology and very beautiful. Kind of his last will and testament mm. in a sense about. What's the most important thing to him? Because there was no other encyclical after that. Um, But but Redemption of Sacramentum, which is uh, concerning uh, abuses regarding the liturgy and and things to follow, one of the things you just mentioned, just something as specific uh, but as as important as the sign of peace. It says, and it's restating from the general instructions of the Roman Missal, um, the sign of peace is to be done to those nearest to you and in a sober manner. Mm. And when you read that you you don't see the church as being mean and trying to restrict but you see it as the church as a mother who's reasonable and a teacher who's saying it's it's not about running across the aisles to shake the hands right. of those people whom you love it's a it's about approaching those nearest to you in a a sober manner that is not in a felicitous manner like you're at a soccer game or something like that why because we're in the context of sacred worship that ultimately this is about god our human community comes to that comes to us from god and so having that that proper orientation that more vertical orientation of seeing god as the primary uh Object of our worship, and from that will flow true communion. That 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 sense of how we can live better as sons and and daughters of God, and as husbands and wives, as mothers and fathers, as priests. It ultimately comes down to that relationship we have with with God that flows out of His love. Like His love will lead us to love others properly. It'll lead us to be more moral and upright people. So, I I really enjoy talking about the Eucharist, and we could spend. It, Eons, really. We could probably stay here for another hour, uh, right. but I've got to talk to some college kids tonight about uh, mortification. So I got to <laughs> move move on that. But um, I important, want to just bring up topic. bring up uh, one other topic that that really hits locally very importantly, um, but kind of moves into the global church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just reverence. Bishop Strickland has been preaching and teaching um, he, in his constitution in May of 2017. This really was. In the context of the teaching uh, constitution on on teaching, this was a after the family. This was the second most important point, like reverence for our Lord and the Eucharist, stemming from his experiences as a bishop uh, conferring the sacraments uh, of confirmation and first Holy Communion. um, That that experience of of concern for his his children, his spiritual children, and, and seeing that there's maybe a a lack of reverence and and even the way that they're preparing to, to receive our Lord. And, uh, you and I, I think are both just on this side of the, the, uh, Time clock where we did not get the uh, the Episcopal slap in the face with confirmation. I, um, I did get it. You did okay because yeah. so, so. remember I was
0: raised in the twenties. Yeah, you're seventy eight. I, yeah. I remember now. So, uh,
1: <laughs> but I do. But after, yeah. shortly
0: after me is when it kind of drifted away. Drifted away. But, yeah. but
1: But but something as stark as that, and, and and we'll get into the the question of reverence. But something as stark as that is a reminder to us that, that in a real way. This, this filial love for Christ uh, and for the church, like there there is an act of religion that accompanies mm-hmm. it. There, there's an act that, that is externalized, that it, it's the whole principle of the incarnation, that the divine became flesh, that we do externalize that internal disposition of love and reverence uh, towards our Lord through our actions, through our words, through our gestures. Right. Um, and reverence, you know, takes so many forms of uh, action in the life of the church. But uh, just for, for you, I'm, I'm curious, because I, I know you and I have a similar, similar temperament We're we're kind of action-oriented, we're more mm-hmm. like St. Mark, maybe, in that way, where We're the line, uh, just get through it, get, get the work done, uh, and keep being persistent, but right. the chance to slow down and go to Mass, obviously, for you is the highlight of your day, the highlight yeah. of your week. Um, but... You, if you could tell us just a little bit about how reverence has really impacted you or even how you've maybe taken on some things of reverence that maybe weren't at first comfortable but have helped you to become more conscientious that you're before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Right.
0: Well, I remember, for example, when, you know, when I received my first Holy Communion, um, we only received on the tongue. And I remember when in the 70s that changed and now people were able to start receiving in the hand. And then I saw it go that direction where that became really a big part, a norm for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became confused, I have to admit, as a, as a young man at that time, thinking, well, I, I thought this was the most reverent way. And I know the church allows this, um, but it struck me. And that, that's always kind of been the back of my mind, thinking, hmm, if this truly is God, what is the absolute best way for me to receive? Now, I'm speaking of, for myself, of course, mm-hmm. in this. But I also know that if, there are, if there's no challenge in our life, we never grow. I've spent a lot of years in a weight room, and I still work out a lot. And I know that if I don't continue to challenge myself physically, I don't, I don't stay strong, in, in you know, in different respects, health-wise. And same with our diet and nutrition. If we don't challenge ourselves, and if we don't challenge us spiritually, we don't grow spiritually either. No growth without challenge, and no strength without struggle. Uh, a friend of mine, thirty years in the navy, says there's no growth without pain. I mean, you have to have some of that to get, to yeah. get that growth to be jump started. Um, maturity comes from suffering and responsibility, a, a priest said once, You know, an exorcist said once. So to challenge people who would be listening or watching right now in this respect right here is that we come before the Lord, and this is the way I look at this. I come before the Lord. He is the author of life itself. He is indescribable, beyond comprehension, and I just can't imagine not falling on my knees to receive him in communion. Mm. Now, I'd, so almost always do I receive on, on my knees and, and I receive on the tongue. And I grew up a little bit with that, and obviously, and then things started to change. And there were times when I did receive on the hand. And I went back because I, I felt in my own personal life, and I will challenge anybody out there to really deeply consider this because we are creatures and we are going before the creator. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that dynamic right there that should just force us to deeply consider why we wouldn't receive him with the greatest reverence possible. What is that? I'm not, I'm not the dictator of that knowledge. I mean, that, i leave that to the church. But even Bishop Strickland has been writing about and encouraging people to receive on their knees and to receive on the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that here in, in Tyler. Many of the parishes, you know, there are kneelers being put out there, giving people that option. Yeah. And I just think that the more I started to make that my norm years and years ago, um, it changed something inside of me. I think, you know, there's a time when people don't want to receive on their knees or on the tongue. Uh, They don't want to take those extra steps because it feels awkward. It feels maybe holier than thou, or it feels they're going to be made fun of or picked on. I mean, I've heard all these things from people. I remember a story when I was traveling and I had some different people working with me in this ministry. And there was a young man, well, we were both about the same age. He's a little bit younger than me, not much. And we, we go to mass in, in a parish somewhere. And I, at that time I wasn't receiving on my knees. Um, I think I was receiving on the, on my tongue. I got back to receiving on my tongue only at that point, but I had a hard time with the idea of kneeling for mm. Holy communion. And this man walks up and, and he tells me, yeah, you know, we'd gone to mass and he says, yeah, Doug, I was off. I was in, he was in another part of the church and he's going down different. Aisles. So I didn't see this happen. He said, and there's a young boy in front of him. The kid had to be 10, 11 years old. And he said, that boy just dropped to his knees mm. with a posture that said, I am before my God. As if he was saying, "My Lord and my God, the right. words of, of, of uh, Thomas. And uh, you know, and he said he saw that and thought, "How can I not, when this young boy with such zeal just dropped to his knees and raised his head as if to say, "I am before the author of all' And he said he knelt. Now I never forgot the way he even told me that story, and I thought, "Wow,
1: he's right." Yeah.
0: So without those challenges, we don't grow. So for me, yeah, I I had to go through those those moments because I re, I grew up receiving on on the tongue, <coughs> but not kneeling. Mm-hmm. And as time went by, I went to receive on the hand at times, and then I went back to the tongue. And now I receive on the kneeling on my tongue, and I do that again primarily because I have found for me, and I think many people will say, it, it's a, it's an act of humility. It's it's not, It's not. you know, patting yourself on the back. If you do, then you no. do it for the wrong reasons. Right. I don't want to kneel down and say, hey, everybody, check me out. You see me kneeling here? Because that's because I got this down. and you... That's not what I'm saying at all. And if you are saying that, that's wrong. Right. Go to confession. Go to confession for the pride right. part. But in general, it should be me and my Lord right there. Mm-hmm. Me and my Lord. And and I, I just, I I know I need his mercy, and I need to be humble before the Lord because St. St. Augustine said, the three greatest virtues are humility, humility, humility. Mm -hmm. And I need to be humble before the Lord. And to me, this is a physical posture of just dropping and saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner, and I I wish to receive you. And 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 hopefully a a continued growth in humility at this time. So it's humbling to even talk about this, Father. I admit that uh, because receiving communion is a very personal thing for us. It should be. It shouldn't be a public thing. But in that personal moment, there should be a deep, constant reflection as to how am i really coming before the lord with the greatest hopeful humility, hopefully humility that i that i can that i can muster up there? yeah
1: there's something you said there's just strikes me too is my uh, as i mentioned my dad converted a couple of years ago and um he's to my knowledge now he may have when he was sick but um he's always received on the tongue and mm. and so i i we were playing golf one day and i was like you know dad what's I mean, I'm really happy you receiving on the tongue, um, but, you know, what's going on there? And he said, who am I to put my hands, to put God in my hands? And then, I mean, this, my dad was a welder for 44 years and ra- raised on a farm. Like, hmm. this really is not his forte. He doesn't have a great intellectual depth of what's going on there. But, you know, he, he just said, "I I got no business putting Jesus in my hands, basically, like, and again, it's the simple heart that he has that it's so beautiful. It, it, this is our Lord. And, you know, people ask often ask me, um, As you know, I'm a young priest. I was formed, thanks be to God, by great uh, seminaries, offer Mass, I, I think, in, in a pretty reverent way. People mm-hmm. always comment, you know, the Mass, and if you go to our parish, both the priests that are there, we both offer Mass. We just do what the book tells us to do. Um but but in a simple sense, it it, it comes down to as, as a priest, and I speak to my brother priest especially, we are stewards of the greatest mystery in the world. Mm-hmm. Stewards of the greatest mystery. Paul says stewards of the mysteries. We are stewards of the greatest mystery in the world, that God comes to us. Heaven encounters earth and overcomes it. Why would I put myself between that in some way that's going to be distracting? Right. Um, right. So. So even the questions that you know we run into with uh, with communion under both kinds, um, the use of extraordinary ministers of holy communion, uh, you know, again these questions have answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're there in the the teaching documents and the liturgy. I would especially again recommend *Redemptionis Sacramentum* and reading the general instructions of the Roman Missal. Um, but but acknowledging that, that that first and foremost, this whole act, from the moment you walk in the door, into the moment you walk out and take the good news into the world not just go to ihop but <laughs> right. this whole act of praise is something where we enter into god's time and one of my my personal kind of i'll say it it's kind of a pet peeve but it but but really it's it, it's something i'm trying to model to my to my brothers uh, especially the seminarians who i've worked, had the privilege and honor of working with these wonderful young men that are going to be so much better priests than i could ever imagine because of their fidelity to christ but one of the simplest things i remember a priest showed me to kind of you know an act of reverence something you would not notice and i'm not asking you to notice now but (laughs) i never say mass with my watch on and it beguiles me because i love jp2 and i love benedict and they're always wearing their watch every picture you see but uh but this priest friend of mine just said you know justin you're you're entering into a timeless act and especially, I think, as a priest, to be conscientious of that. This this mass is not the—this is the mass in which I'm entering into the eternal mass, the eternal now of God, the eternal beauty of his sacrifice. And so if, 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 if my watch could be a moment of distraction, I don't want it to be. But it's also a reminder to me, as you were mentioning earlier, to not be too speedy, to not be thinking of the world and its ways, you know, looking at my clock, mm-hmm. but— but really to be focused on the bread that's become our Lord's body, the wine yeah. that's become our Lord's blood that, that we see visibly before us, the God, man, right there to, 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 to draw us into himself. And so well, how reverence works, you and, know. And for you as priests,
0: too, I just would follow up with that, Father, yeah. is that you set that tone and that cadence for everyone in the pews. Mm. Uh, I tell altar boys this, the way they stand, you know, at attention, the way they present themselves, Um, you know, anybody in the sanctuary, especially an acolyte, a deacon, whoever that's, you know, but especially, especially the priest, the the spiritual officer there on the field battle. Um, And, you know, if if St. Bridget of Sweden is right, and she probably is, uh, that thousands of angels she (coughs) would see descend and lie prostrate around the altar. Um, that challenges us to what type of reverence we present of ourselves when we come to our Lord. Mm. And and when you said that about entering into this timeless moment, I forget which saint it was, maybe you remember, Father, it said that at the moment of the consecration, it is as if the curtains are pulled back and we are stepping into Calvary. Yep. That, that one moment of Calvary, we are now here at the moment of consecration. And that, to me, has always resonated, because you see curtains being pulled back and... There you are with the sky and the three crosses and mm-hmm. the Blessed Mother and John and the other women there at the foot of the cross and the soldiers and the piercing of the side and it's all right there in that mass. And I'm just humbled to work with a priest like yourself who who believes in this, cares about this, because you get to hold Jesus in your hands at that moment mm-hmm. as that, that, that uh, transubstantiation right. takes place. That so, unveiling. Yeah. Your hands have that been given that gift, that that yeah. power. So
1: God's too good, man. He's, it, just, he's just yeah, too good. He's too incredible. good. Well, I i really have, you know, again, I i think we could both talk about this for the next <laughs> couple hours, yeah. but we've got things to do, unfortunately. Yep. Um, so we want to just give a, a, a few basic recommendations for people, and, and I, I think I'm going to tackle this one more as the priest, uh, to my brother priest, and then and just the kind of general, and then maybe you could talk a little bit more as a family man okay. uh, and, a, and a husband and father. So um, I'll go first just to talk about a text or two maybe that would help uh, for some study. Uh, One of them is Dominus Est. It's a very short book by uh, Auxiliary Bishop Athanasius Schneider, and it's on reverence for the Eucharist. I mean, it's like, you could read it in about an hour. It's nothing profoundly long. It's very much anecdotal about his life and and the love of of his, especially his family for the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. Um, And that's you can get it on Amazon or whatever, uh, very easily. Another one that uh, I did a book study with with um, parishioners um, was a devotional journey into the Mass, and this was a book that came out last year. I, I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but it was. It's eight chapters. It's a real. Uh, it, it's a basic kind of parochial group study book you could do with a couple friends. Guys could do it, ladies could do it, or do it as a family. Really, it's it's written in such a way that kids can understand mm-hmm. it, but. The reason I like to to encourage people to read these books, is, especially to my brother Priest, is that these are tools that you can help disseminate in the parish without having to write the book, without having to do the video, you know, that there are things out there that really help teach in a beautiful and simple way how to get more out of the Mass in the sense of how can we go with the right dispositions, and also how to understand it and explain it better, because as you mentioned, uh, as dads especially, to, to, you know, to really be uh, a great source of knowledge that you can give that gift to your children. Um, and to my brother priest, you know, just again, one very specific reference I, I would make is to think about that priest, that, that prayer that many of us pray, um, hopefully before we say Mass, is priest of God, celebrate this Mass as if it was your first Mass, your, your last Mass, and your only Mass. And and to take seriously that that sentiment of what a joy it is that we humble unworthy servants of god that he gives us the the grace to do that and to just remind my brothers remember it's the greatest joy of our life so i just want to turn it to you and just yeah what would you recommend
0: i would say um you know especially for husbands and fathers out there um, parents in general but especially as husbands and fathers you have been entrusted with the lives of your wife and your children and there's no question about that responsibility. And we'll stand before God, and I'm not going to be judged first and foremost on, on any of my successes of this world of money or cars or trophies or any accomplishment like right. that. I'm going to be judged primarily on what's going on with the woman on the other end of this ring. First and foremost, did I prepare her soul to stand before God? Did I do everything necessary? And the greatest thing I can do is is to bring her to our Lord and Holy Communion. I always step out of the pew first, let my wife go. It's kind of a it's a symbolic, but it's it, it's it's a gentlemanly thing to do, of course. But it's also me. Kind of guiding my wife down to receive our Lord. There's a there's a, there's a meaning to that as well. But number one, remember men who have been those who have been entrusted to your care, and take that utmost seriousness um, that you live that life, showing them what reverence and beauty for our Lord in the Eucharist looks like. Saint Therese said one time, if I ever wanted to know what it looked like to pray deeply, I looked at my father. Mm. And so if our wives, our children can look at us and see something that says reverence before the Lord, humility before God, especially in the Mass, especially before the Eucharist, then we're on the right track. So men, that. Second is study the miracles of the Eucharist, the Church approved miracles. That is critical, I think. Helps, yeah. helps tremendously.
1: Yeah, it does, and we're, we're so blessed uh, the St. Philip Institute here. Uh, Dr. Trisenkos, our executive director, has been doing some great teaching. It's online. It's on our website, stphilipinstitute.org. Um, and we want to encourage all of our listeners to continue to follow us online, uh, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, send us questions to podcasts at stphilipinstitute.org, and we'll be happy to respond. And just want to end with this quote. It's one that many of us are familiar with from uh, Pope St. Pius the Tenth. Holy Communion is the shortest and safest way to heaven. The surest, easiest way is the Eucharist. We give thanks to God for this time. Doug, I hope you have a great day. And uh, you, Father. Thank you very much. God bless all of you who are listening.
0: The Lord be with you, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.